Hello, Four Sober Chicks podcast listeners. We are Heather, Meredith, Dana, and Tracy, four women recovering out loud. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Hello, for Sober Chick podcast listeners. I'm Heather, and with me today are, as always, Meredith and Dana and Tracy. And today we have a very special guest, Margaret Ward who is uh, going to talk to us about all things related to sober, sober travel. And before we kind of kick off, I am currently in London, and I really want to show you my view of outside my window. Mm. Isn't that gorgeous? Gorgeous. So we decided to record this episode with you, Margaret, because of the fact that I was going to be traveling. and. So right now we have two women, you know, in different parts of the three women, different parts of the U.S. I'm in London and Tracy is in Abu Dhabi. So that's so um, exciting. It's really cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I guess actually, let me introduce you. You are the creator and owner of Afar, an alcohol-free travel company for women. You're a wife and an attorney and a mom of four grown children. Um, and your sober journey started in 2017 when you decided to get rid of your beloved Chardonnay um, and kind of deal with the good. Um, you wear flip-flops around, around the year when you're not running and you do many of your trips are running based. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, and I'm assuming that you love your dog because you would have anything to be able to talk to your, your uh, golden retriever once for one day i think that's awesome um so welcome and uh why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah thanks for having me i'm really excited to talk about this topic um i'll go into my sober story a little bit mm -hmm. um like you said i i got fully sober in 2017 but i think my journey with alcohol started way way earlier than that um i grew up in a i would say a, a pretty normal uh, household. Neither of my parents drank. I was the youngest of six. I say I, I came from a very privileged background. I um, was given many opportunities. Um, drinking really wasn't a part of my story until later in life. Um, during high school and college, of course, I, I think I used alcohol to um, for social anxiety. Um, but it never got really out of control. Um, and when my kids were younger, Luckily, I wasn't part of the the whole um, mommy wine culture um, because I'm sure I would have gotten sucked into that. But it was really around my mid 30s that I was introduced to Chardonnay, and you know, a flip, a switch just flipped with me drinking that. And um, from then, it just slowly progressed. Um, I had a lot of things going on in my life. My kids were getting older. I have four kids. Um, and they were, you know, starting to have more activities. They were in mid middle school and high school. Um, and my husband got very sick. He has Crohn's. Um, and at that time, he got very sick. My mother 
was diagnosed with uterine cancer and passed away shortly thereafter. So it was just one of those things where a lot of things collided all at once. And I, I reached for Chardonnay at the end of the day to, to cope with all those things, not realizing that um, it was going to escalate the way it did because it looked normal. And I think in some respects, when you're drinking look normal, um, it's almost harder because you have society and friends and everyone telling you that, you know, the way you drink is not problematic um, and that maybe you should just take a little break or maybe just cut back a little or maybe just stop it too. Like, wouldn't that be a great idea? Um, and I started questioning it, you know, privately. I started reading um, the Quitlet books. I started Googling at night, you know, do I have a problem? And seeing, you know, different groups online and, and always having an out though, always saying, well, you know, I don't fit this mold. I, I don't have a rock bottom story. Um, and I didn't see anyone like me. You know, I, I only saw those rock bottom stories. I didn't know there was a whole community that was in this gray area. Um, and it wasn't until I connected with somebody else's story that was similar to me that I really started my sober journey. Um, my daughter was the only one who had ever said anything to me. You know, she was in high school and she, I give her so much credit. She approached me and she said she didn't like the way I was drinking. And I was so angry with her. I remember being so angry with her. Like, this is the one thing I have for me. And her and I really battled over it. And um, God, I just give her so much credit because how hard that must have been for her to confront me. And we have such an open relationship now where we talk about this. And she said to me um, recently, she's like, Mom, I wasn't embarrassed by you. She's like, I loved you so much. And I was more... Um, Embarrassed. I didn't want you to be embarrassed. Not that I was embarrassed. I was like, wow, that that's that's a lot to put on a teenager. Um, but again, her saying that to me was just one. You know, everyone says, you know, what was the final thing that made you stop for good? And there is no one thing that made me finally stop. It was all these little things. It was reading somebody else's story. It was my daughter confronting me. It was having. Um, you know, one too many mornings waking up and being really upset with myself for not following through on what I said I was going to do. You know, saying I was going to stop, and then that night, 5 o'clock comes and opening the wine again. Or, you know, my husband calling and saying, do you want me to pick anything up? And me caving and saying, oh, yeah, you know, stop. Because that was, I knew if he called and said that, that was, uh, you know, a code for stop and get a bottle of wine. Um but yeah, the, the, main, the main turning point was reading somebody else's story. It was really impactful. I was at the time training for an Ironman, and I was part of a, an online faith group. And one day, one woman commented and said, you know, I think I'm drinking too much at night. You know, I think I have just a little, I think I might have a problem. And so many responses were, you know, what, we train hard, we play hard. You know, I mean, there's just that, that, that culture around, especially with athletics, that, you know what, if we train, we deserve this, um, which you would think would be the opposite, but, but it really isn't. But one woman um, on that, in that group commented and said, you know, everyone's joking about this, but if you're asking, you know, do you have a problem, you might consider looking into it. Because if you're taking the time to ask that in a group like this, you might, you might have a problem. 
Um, and she had a link to, she was, had gotten sober and she was pretty big in the triathlon community. Um, her name is Meredith Atwood and she linked to a Facebook group she had started for um, people who were triathletes who were trying to quit drinking. And I joined that group and I read her story and literally it was like a light bulb went on. And I was like, holy shit, there's all these women, these people out there like me who do not have a rock bottom story, but who are really having trouble stopping. Um, and that made all the difference. And it was like, you know, once you find one thing, it's like um, an avalanche, you know, like this one group led me to books and it led me to podcasts. It led me to finding She Recovers. It led me to finding um, an online group that, that really became my, my, my core in the early days of sobriety. Um, and, and after that, it just avalanched. And you know what? I said, this is, this is the way I want to live. You know, and it's no longer about, um, is it bad enough? It's, is it good enough? And for me, it wasn't good enough. You know, I had all these, my kids were getting older. I had so many things I wanted to pursue. And once I started drinking that glass of wine at night, I would forget about all those. And I was sick of doing that. Um, and that really became the turning point, you know? So yeah, August 28th, 2017, it was an ordinary night. I didn't drink too much. I went out to dinner. I remember we were coming home from a weekend away. And I remember the waitress taking so long to bring me my second glass of wine. And I was so pissed off. I was because I really wanted that second glass because I knew if I didn't get that second glass when I, I wanted it, then I wouldn't be able to have a third. And that really pissed me off. And I said to myself, this is no way to live. You know, this is no way to live. And that, that was it for me. So it's been almost six years now. Wow. Congratulations. So August 28th is my birthday. So that's kind yeah. of crazy. <laughs> it's a good day. It's a, great to, day. It's a good, great day to stop drinking. Well, I definitely can relate to um, your story in terms of like how important the community was. When you found that group of women that shared a story that you related to, you were there. And I think, you know, community, this is why we do this podcast to build the community, to show more and more faces of what it looks like for every, all these different people. Um, so I really appreciate kind of your story reflecting the same aspect that, you know, we believe in, in that respect of connecting to your tribe. So let's tell me about AFAR and how that travel kind of um, com business program has started and what community that creates. Yeah, so traveling was always really important to me. I, I was born in Scotland. Um, my family lived in Scotland and then in England for until I was about five, and then we moved back to the States. My dad was a professor at the university, um, and my mom, my mom had the wanderlust bug um, big time. And it kind of, you know, I obviously got it from her. Um, but when my kids were little, I really didn't get a chance to travel as much. Um, we tried to as much as possible. Uh, and when my youngest was older, her and I traveled quite extensively together, but it was always something I wanted to pursue. And I just, like I said, I would open a glass of wine though. And then, you know, all these dreams would just kind of go out the window. So when I finally got sober, I said, you know what, it's my time. This is my time to do, you know, what I've always said I wanted to do. And I took a trip to Copenhagen during my, I was, was probably my, 
six months sober maybe. Um, and I found a, a cheap airline flight I couldn't pass up. There was a half marathon taking place. Um, so I said, this is a sign. I got to go. And I went. And I remember finishing the race. And there was one woman. We didn't, she didn't speak English. I didn't speak. I don't know what language she was speaking. But we kind of ran together during the race. And I remember at the end of the race, I was just being, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I mean, for anyone who's newly sober, you know that first year. I mean, literally the emotions are just running wild. I mean, you feel everything. You don't realize how much you numb until you start feeling emotions for the first time and really, truly feeling them. And I was overcome with emotion. It just, I felt like, I mean, it sounds so silly, but I was felt like I was finally like living my dream. You know, I was traveling and I was running and it, just the combination of those things just made the endorphins just like, and so I hugged her and she hugged me and we were crying. And that was the point. I was like, I, I need to experience more of this. And I need to do it with a group of women who understand that, you know what, finishing a race in a foreign country and experiencing new things is fucking powerful, you know? Sorry. I swear a lot. That's um, okay. You're welcome to. Yeah, but I, I mean, from that minute, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. I want to travel with women and just um, the connection, I think think is the most important thing to me and that's what these trips do they connect women in a way that only travel can do you know when you are traveling and experiencing things for the first time it really creates a bond that I, I don't think I've ever met anything like it yeah I definitely so that, agree. That's, yeah anyway that's what made me decide so I started off um running trips around running you know because that's one of my passions is running and so um, we started, we'd go somewhere and then at the end of the week, run a half marathon. Um, and then just recently I've, I've realized I've received so many emails from people saying we want to come on a trip, but we don't run, that it's more about just being outdoors and having adventures. That's the, I think the most important thing. So that's why I did a, a kind of a rebranding and now it's called AFAR, um, which stands for Alcohol-Free Adventure Retreats. Now it's just all about experiencing, you know, life through sober, sober eyes. I love that. Absolutely love that. I'm um, going back to one thing you said, though, Heather, earlier about connection. Um, I remember once my daughter confronted me, I tried going sober and I, I had about seven months. And I realized looking back, I was so alone. I was so alone. I did not have any support. I didn't. AA was not something I connected with. I had had a bad experience when I was younger with it. And so it, to me, wasn't an option. Um, but I remember that time just being so alone. And also it was so hard. I think being honest and open and vulnerable also was a really big part of my story because I felt like I was living a double life. Like I was trying to get sober, but not being open about it. And I think that um, that was really hard. And once I just accepted the fact that, you know what, this is something I'm proud of. This isn't something to be shameful about. Then there are so many women out there, not just women, men too, but I, I am talking about women in particular, that need to see women who are professional, who have come from the same background, but who struggle with this. 
you know, and, and so that they can release that shame. I mean, I just think that's so important because for me it was. And I do too, Margaret. Um, I, I love living a sober lifestyle. I want to celebrate all the love, joy, and sexiness that comes with it. And I just love what you've done. And I love just what you said, because here you said when you were actively drinking, you felt so alone, you know, and, and here you decide in sobriety to go and travel alone. I know you do that with women as well now and with groups, but maybe that first trip was, and you, you were living, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for you and how you felt, but I know for me, um, you know, I traveled once when I was in the, when I was kind of drinking, kind of not drinking. And uh, I went to Paris for the first time and it was, and I, and I, it, I, I didn't have, a, I had a better time when I was more secure in my sobriety and I was completely sober because that night that I decided to go out and drink, I didn't trust myself. So the whole time I'm worried about, I'm alone, I'm going to a bar, I'm going to drink and oh God, I hope I stop. In, in, in time. So I'm not you know, going to be in a situation that maybe I wouldn't be in if I was completely sober. I wouldn't, um, you know, I wouldn't have to be taken advantage of. I wouldn't have to worry if somebody's going to slip on my drink or where I'm going to wake up and nobody will ever find me. You know, I, there was a lot of anxiety and fear there because I was drinking and I was, I didn't trust myself to stop drinking. Um, and then fast forward and I go and I, I am completely sober I go and I, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go and live in Utrecht for a month and be near my daughter. And then I'm going to go to Abu Dhabi for another month and live with my sister. And I'm going to work remotely. And the feeling that I felt like going and walking those streets, completely aware, completely present, completely trusting myself was so awesome. And I just, I just love it. And I know that I would not... I, I know now the difference. I know the difference between, you know, traveling not sober and traveling sober. And for me, it's just such a better and more powerful experience. And you do so much more, right? And it's not all, and that it's not all um, concentrated or revolving around alcohol. So with, you know, so with that, I mean, I'd love to hear because, you know, we always, I mean, a lot of times people are like, you know, what do you do? How are, you know, how do you have fun without <laughs> drinking? And, and, and especially on these trips. And I really want to get your advice on like a Napa, like Napa Valley trip, right? Where I haven't tried that. It is a very wine centric, but is, you know, but some people have spouses or partners that like to enjoy to do that. And as a non-drinker, I don't know if you can advise on that a little bit, but you know, how does that kind of look? Well, just to touch on one thing you said, I think that's great that you were aware when you were drinking of all the the risks that come with that. Because I think for me, it was the opposite that when I was drinking, I didn't give a shit. Like I was not scared at all. And that's even scarier. I think now looking back, I put myself in so many situations traveling that it could have ended very, very badly. And even with my daughter, I, her and I traveled and, you know, alcohol wasn't the, the focal point when I was traveling with her. I was, you know, but I was thinking about it all the time. And, you know, that headspace yes. when you're thinking about drinking is almost as bad as if you were drinking because you're not present. You know, if you're thinking about drinking, even if you're not drinking, you're still not being present in the moment, which is the greatest thing about sober travel is you are 100% present. You know, because you're not thinking about anything else. And, I mean, not even to go into the safety 
you know, I, I'm so fearful for women who are drinking and traveling because, I mean, the risks are just so high, especially now. I mean, the risks are just so high. Absolutely. Um, but, oh, totally my gosh, agree. what do you do when sober traveling? I mean, the, the literally, the options are limitless. And I do advise that it's, it depends on where you are in your sober journey. You know, one of the things, be, be very careful where you pick, you know, if you're early on in sobriety. I wouldn't go on, uh, like, to an all-inclusive resort early in sobriety. I just wouldn't. I mean, not only because the, the temptation is going to be there, but because you really want to be around other people that are, are going to be drinking. I mean, I would definitely pick somewhere more where alcohol is not the focal point. But if you're secure in your sobriety, going to someplace like Napa or Paris or any region where wine is, a, is you know, known, it's known to be, there are going to be lots of other activities besides that that you can partake in. I mean, Napa Valley is so beautiful. I mean, there are so many outdoor activities. There's hiking, there's biking. You know, I mean, just plan ahead. You know, do your research before you go. That's what I would say. We just did a trip last April. In fact, we were there this time last April to Tuscany, which, I mean, people are like, you're going to Italy and you're not drinking? Like, why would you go to Italy and not drink? I'm like, are you kidding? Like, we did olive oil testing, taste testing, which I'd never, I'd never known that was a thing. And it was so fun. I didn't know there were so many different types of olive oil. And we did it in a vineyard. I mean, it was just olive oil. Um, um, but we did biking. We had picnics. We got up early every morning and went hiking. I mean, there's just so many things to do. Shopping. <laughs> we did, um, we went to eat at a, at a mozzarella bar instead of a, regular bar we went to a mozzarella bar where we taste you know taste tested all these different cheeses i mean that's my kind of bar yeah 100 percent. so it's funny is you mentioned napa tracy um i actually ended up ha kind of having to go on a work trip to napa um when i was about five years sober and so at that point i was definitely kind of on my game. And I've, I've talked about this in past episodes in, in, um, season one, but what I actually, actually loved about it. And I'm going to, this will be a tangent to something that you said, Margaret. Um, I, where we went, they were so aware of the people that they were welcoming into their vineyard that one of the people who worked there actually came up to me and said, I noticed you don't have a glass. Do you drink alcohol? And I was like, I actually don't. He was like, I will be right back. He came back with a wine glass full of freshly pressed grape juice. And he, he was like, I want you to be able to partake in what's happening and not be, you know, just holding a wine glass with water or whatever. He's like, would you be opposed to drinking? If I go press some freshly pressed grape juice, would you drink that? I was like, absolutely. So I do know that there's a lot of vineyards out there that even if you request something like that, they are more than willing to accommodate really where you're at, but I will 100% agree if that was within my first year of sobriety, it would have been really bad. Um, so I had that foundation. I had that security. I had all of that going for me when I went there. 
but you know, I've even had friends say, they're like, well, we really want to do a wine tour. We want you to go, but, and I'm like, look, I can take care of myself, you know? And, and then I kind of give them that story. I'm like, they're very aware that there are people who don't drink alcohol, but the experience to go to a vineyard, it's gorgeous. Like whether it's from where they keep all their barrels or out in the vineyards or the process, a lot of times they have outdoor seating where you can eat. Like it is such a good experience to go to. And I, I want to put it out there that it's completely doable. Um, and they were phenomenal. It was actually the Benzinger winery that we went to. Um, and it was within five minutes of everyone walking through like their facilities. They literally out of a hundred people, they noticed I was the only one that did not have a wine glass. And it was immediately not like, oh, do you not like the wine? It was, do you not drink? And I was like, kudos to you. Like that was, that made me feel a part of the group, even though I wasn't feeling left out. They wanted to make sure that I had that with my, with my coworkers. So I thought that, that was really cool. And Margaret, Meredith, said, that's a really right. good point. That That's a really good point you bring up though, because one of the things I, I really highly suggest is being proactive. You know, mm -hmm. people want to help you, but they're 100%. not going to know unless you ask. So mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what, if you're going to even, even a, a, an all-inclusive resort, email, you know, the guest services ahead of time, let them know I don't drink alcohol. What are my options? Will you have things available to me? Or email your Airbnb host and say, listen, I don't drink alcohol. Don't leave the bottle of wine out. Um, or email a hotel or, you know, anywhere you're going, let them know ahead of time because people want to make you happy. Yeah. They will yeah. accommodate you. My husband and I, for our 25th anniversary, we did a biking tour in the south of France. And I let them know ahead of time that I didn't drink. And man, I got, I think I got the better drinks from everyone because yeah. they had, they had fresh fruits, you know, pressed yeah. juice for me. They had sparkling water for me. Um, and recently I was going through Paris on a layover and I got to the, my hotel room and they had a bottle of wine there and saying, you know, this is for you on the house, you know, for your hard, long day of traveling. I'm like, fuck that shit. I called down and I said, I don't drink. What can I have? They sent up two bottles of sparkling water. I mean, yep. but you have to ask. So be yep. proactive ahead of time. And that's since I, and I've been to other vineyards and that's the first thing when I walk in the door, I say, can I have a glass of your freshly pressed grapes? And yeah. they do not hesitate at all. Um, so again, but that I didn't realize that I could be proactive in that setting because I was like, their business is alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> how are they going to, how are they going to accommodate me? I know they don't make an alcohol, alcohol-free wine. Um, but I never thought about the grape, grape juice option. So I thought that, that was great, yeah. but you had said through your first trip sober running after the race and how emotional you got. I have found that when I travel, I am emotional every single time. It doesn't matter where I am. I could be at our lake house. That's an hour away. And I wake up early. I look outside and I am like, taken aback with how gorgeous it is. I can go to Texas and I can be downtown and I can still find the beauty even in a chaotic city because it's it's the experience. It's what's surrounding you. It's taking all that in and actually being aware 
of this is actually an awesome place, but I get emotional everywhere I travel in those snippets of time where I'm typically awake before everyone else. I have a fresh, clear mind. And that's one of the biggest things that I always do. I take about an hour before I know anyone is awake. I can go for a walk. I can look out, Heather, like at the scenery that you have, like those types of moments are what I cherish now because I'm like, I want this imprinted on my heart. I want to be able to go back and remember how this place made me feel. Um, so, I, I mean, I have a trip, I'm going on my daughter's eighth grade DC trip to DC. And then we go up to New York. We're going to a Broadway show. We're going to a major league baseball game. Like even at a baseball game, I've never been to a major league baseball game. <laughs> I am going to be surrounded by alcohol, crazy, like 55 kids, <laughs> but there's beauty in that. There's, there's so much, you, you want to retain those memories so you can look back and be like, man, that was such an awesome experience versus I don't remember a lot of it. If I you know, go to Italy, I want to remember the landscape. I want to remember all those things. And for some reason, it makes me so emotional. Like I get teary-eyed every time I travel. Oh my God, you're getting me emotional right now. It's so true. I know yeah. I'm an emotional wreck all the time and not a wreck. It's good. It's good. It's 100%. good emotion. But yeah. you're right. I'm I'm going to Detroit in a, on Wednesday to visit my daughter. I'm going to Detroit and I'm like excited and like, so, and my daughter's like, well, we can do this and we can do this. I'm like, no, I just want to be there and be present and get up early. And that's our happy hour, right? The early morning time before everyone else is awake before the cities come alive, you know, that to me is my new happy hour to be able to go into a new coffee shop and like experience a new coffee and sit. And it's just so quiet and peaceful. Oh my God. Right. There's nothing like it. It's so great. So very, very true. And you know, Margaret, you're speaking my language. I'm a runner. <laughs> so I'm going to have to uh, figure out some of these trips I can go on with you. <laughs> It'll get me out of the country to to run some races uh, outside of the U.S. Um, I and you know it really spoke to me. I so I don't drink wine, so I'm thinking maybe I should start going to these wineries and trying the grape juice. It's going to be a good experience. Um, but you, what you said with the the you know the Ironman training and the running and everything um, that you deserve it. And that really spoke to me because that's what I was like, oh, I deserve this. I just ran 40 miles. I'm going to, you know, down two or three because that's carb loading, <laughs> you know. Um, and it, it's really true. And, and it's prevalent, especially in the more distance spaces, you know, the the marathon space, the ultra space, the Ironman space. It, it's like a rite of passage to like half of these these races are sponsored by Michelob or, you know, Miller or whatever it is, because it's a life car bigger. Um, and isn't that yeah. what we were trying to load with anyway? Um, but I really appreciate that um, with you saying that with the, you know, that deserve to drink because we don't, right. We're doing all of this as a healthy reminder for ourselves. And then yet we sit here and poison ourselves afterwards because we think we deserve it. <laughs> um yeah. So I, I appreciate that very, very much. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the problems I had is that, you know what, my insides were not matching my outsides. You know, I was promoting this healthy lifestyle and, you know, then at night not being healthy and drinking a bottle or two of wine a night. And that incongruence between the two is really difficult to live and maintain, you know. And so that's why it's just so it's such a weight off your shoulders when you just you finally match, you know, your insides and your outsides. But yeah, I think things are starting to change, though. We just got back from Crete um, a, a while ago and ran a race there, and they had a non-alcoholic beer at the finish line instead of an alcoholic beer, which I was like, you know what? Bravo. Bravo. Because usually it's not that. I mean, I ran the Philadelphia Marathon, and at mile 20, they were having beer for people. <laughs> you're, you're talking maniac there. <laughs> So I live outside of Philadelphia. Philly, Philly's my, that's my hometown marathon. So yeah, you've got there and the Drexel University part of the, the marathon. They're, they're all trashed at 730 in the morning waiting for us to yeah. come by. But yeah, that, that beer stop at mile 20 is there every year. So um, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it, I was I was not sober when I ran the Philly Marathon, but I don't even think back then I would have had a beer at mile twenty. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have either. <laughs> well, and to what you were saying as far as just being because I'm not a runner, but I'm an athlete, and it's funny because I didn't realize at the time how bass backwards it is for you to be an athlete and you perform at this level and then it's almost expected that hey you had an awesome day let's go out and let's drink to where I, like I stopped drinking and I was like that's almost like saying hey you performed it really good let's go do some cocaine or <laughs> let's go try some meth or like that's literally it's on the same basis as that where it just is mind-blowing how people don't even they don't even relate the two it's just a given that that's and it's so accepted especially among athletes that I'm just like man if you think you're performing good now my performance over I just celebrated nine years sober this Three, nine years to now, and I'm close to 10 years older. I could outdo my 10 year younger self like that. I mean, it is unreal how different it is. What's funny is people ask me, oh, your running must have improved so much now that you stopped drinking. And oddly enough, it did not. Um, I think when I was drinking, I pushed myself so hard to overcompensate for the drinking that I didn't listen to my body. And so I just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. What is amazing is now I don't wear a watch when I run because I run just for mental health and I listen to my body and I only do what my body says is, is it wants. Um, so maybe my times aren't faster, but I can tell you in the last five and a half years, I haven't had one injury which is huge because I always used to have a knee brace on or, you know, go, something that was hurting and my body no longer hurts because I listened to it, which is the most important thing, I think, for longevity as an athlete. 
What I love to hear about, Margaret, what inspired your trip and, and what I found when I traveled sober was, you know, when it is maybe a little bit new and, and you're like, well, what do I do with my time? You know, you 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 honed in on something that you loved and that inspired you to go someplace. And that was, you know, marathons around the world. It, you know, you had, okay, I know why I'm going and, and this is going to, and then you, you're doing something that you love to do. For me, it was walking around Paris and I'm like, okay, what do I do? Well, I like stationery. I love paper. So I'm going to find a stationery store. And so that was my, that was my adventure for the day. You know, it was like, okay, find, you know, find where it is, get the map out, you know, go walk it. And then along the way, you know, stop and have lunch, um, you know, and, and then it just, and then by the time all this was done, a couple hours has passed and, you know, and it, and it, it was really good. So I think having a focus and having that you know, if it, whether it's to see a band in the city or, you know, you know, having just something, uh, go to a painting class. Um, it's just remarkable. So kudos to you. I think it's great. No, and I think that's great, especially if you're not used to traveling and it maybe makes you a little nervous, you know, finding a theme, you know, is a great, or, or what do you like? Like sit down and ask yourself, what do I like? And where can I go and do this? I mean, if you like cooking, my God, cooking, you can go and take classes anywhere around the world, you know, Italy, France, you know, try a different type of cooking anywhere, Thailand, oh my gosh. Um, you know, but I think that's a great idea. Yeah, find something you like and then go. Do you like surfing? Do you like the ocean? Do you like scuba diving? I, I think I'm going to go and get scuba certified. I never thought I would do that, but I'm like, there's so many places that I want to go that that require that, so why not? You know, you have so much extra time now that you're not consumed with drinking that you can explore all these different things. Or even if you're not sure you like something, go and give it a try. You know, I think the biggest part of traveling is, you know what traveling drinking looks like? Well, get curious about what it would look like without it. You know, just give it a try because you know what the other way is like. So try this way and see what happens. I love that. And I love the experiences. We've done cooking classes all around the world. I usually take our kids and do it and you get these amazing recipes. Um, we've also scuba dive as a family and get to see different countries, kind of water, coastline and stuff. And we do a lot of museums, you know, like I was in Paris last week. I laugh when you say we did Italy last summer and they're like, uh, you don't drink. I actually had someone say, I, I feel bad for you. And I was like, well, don't, <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm totally cool. Um, and it was very doable. You know, like we also went and tasted olive oil and I had no idea that it could be like burn the back of your throat and like all this craziness. Um, we tried balsamic There's a technique. There's a huge yeah. technique There's a whole to thing it. I'm we like, breathe and yeah. I was like, this is oil, right? We're, we're still talking about oil. But yeah, we've done a lot of those things. And one of our big favorites as a family are food tours. You know, like when we drank, it was, you never really ate the food or, you know, it was at the, like, you know, a bad hour just to soak up kind of what you had um, consumed. Now we get to see these cultures and these countries through their food. And it's an amazing experience uh, to be present for that as well. And, um, and then usually get some history. So I, we had no problem doing Italy. We just did Paris last week. So it is, it's the most fulfilling experience I have with my family. 
Um, and traveling is one of the reasons I continue to live abroad because that allows us to travel as a family. Um, and I think I just might've hit like 34, 35 countries that we have been to um, and a big chunk of them. So 10 years uh, on June, we just celebrated five years in the United Arab Emirates, but 10 years in the US, leaving the US in June. Um, and our family has been able to travel through all of that and being able to compare being a mom on a trip with alcohol and without it's night and day, you know. Um, so thank you for creating this amazing platform where women who want to travel by themselves and have that experience can come together with a sisterhood. Those friends, those women are going to be friends forever. Like what an amazing bonding experience. And then to also have it be on the basis of recovery and sobriety yeah. and doing it together. And um, I think that's beautiful. So any last words, anything else you want to share with us about your journey and Man, Heather, you're living the dream. <laughs> like that, you are living the dream. I mean, that is my goal, you know, to be to be living abroad or, or continuously traveling. My youngest is heading off to college in September. So it's the time is now. Um, any little bit of advice? Um, you know what? If you're newly sober and traveling, stick to the basics. Remember to eat and drink, you know. I think when you're traveling, you so often forget that, and that can be a huge trigger. Stay hydrated. Eat some protein. Um, have someone you can text and call. Have a plan. Um, yeah, but don't let it scare you from doing it, you know? Just just do it. Now's the time. I love it. Just do it. Yes. <laughs> Go get your passports if you don't have them yet, anyone listening. Yeah. Go get them. You can do it. Absolutely. So where can we find you in the social media world? Um, so I'm on Facebook. Um, my website is www.afadventureretreats.com. I'm on Instagram as afadventureretreats. Um, yeah, or just, just send me a DM. I mean, I love connecting with women. Even if you don't want to travel, just reach out to me. I think it's my biggest goal right now and purpose is just to help others who are in that gray area and to get rid of the shame attached to it yeah and you have a great facebook page teetotaler travel is that yeah i started this facebook group a couple of years ago called teetotaling travelers um just to bring people together who who are traveling alcohol free and um because there is a lot of support that we do need you know it is an area where you often associate traveling with alcohol so it's great to just have a group of people come together and say you know what you can still do it wonderful and we'll link all of those when we post uh the episode and a couple days up before uh the, the episode is released as well to kind of let people be able to connect with you so thank you so much for giving us your time today and an amazing conversation. And I hope that, you know, this conversation will inspire someone to go and have like a life-changing sober travel experience. Um, so thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Margaret. Bye. Thank you so much. Safe travels. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. 
We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at 4SoberChicks. That's number 4SoberChicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.